Okay, tonight we move. We pick up where we left off last week with um, in our overall big picture overview of the Old Testament, understanding Isaiah the prophet and the book in its Old Testament context. Tonight we continue with our little specific focus on David and putting David on the map. I call this putting David on the map continued because really um, with this first couple segments on David, we'll probably do another segment next week to get into the covenant, the Davidic covenant, which is hugely important. Um, you know, we mentioned that a lot. We'll mention it tonight. Um, we'll open with it tonight, a little bit of reference to it tonight, but then we're going to pull back and continue where we left off last week, which is leading into the story of young David. We did not actually arrive at young David last Wednesday night. I have a new handout um, for tonight with, you can see the front page is just picking up on where we left off last week with the scripture. I've thrown in some other maps in addition to the map supplement handout that I gave you. So, you know, you always, we're back in this phase where I'm trying to give you all maps in case you're interested. Um, Larry definitely wanted a map where he could see Nazareth last week. So I've got a map where you can see Nazareth. On, on page two, you can see this is really, uh, these are maps or uh, two maps and a photo related to current day Israel. Uh, let's just go ahead and look at that before I get into the scripture. You can see over on the map at the top left, see that heading, little heading that says current conflict in Israel. I'm just reminding you that Ramadan ends tonight. It ran from um, several weeks ago in, you know, runs for a month, okay? So it began in April, and it concludes tonight, uh, Ramadan. Uh, Ramadan, which is the Muslims um, celebrating, remembering, having a, a fast days during the day from sunrise to sundown, and then they, they can feast and do, do other stuff at night. But uh, the first... Um, in the series of the uh, revelations of Allah to uh, Muhammad. Now, uh, tomorrow night, excuse me, tonight through tomorrow night is Eid al-Fatir, which is the celebration of the conclusion of the fast. So uh, my point there being uh, there's still a lot of tension with uh, the Muslim people wanting to you know, have full unfettered access to the Al-Aqsa Mosque compound, uh, to the Dome of the Rock area, as well as other parts of Israel where they live. And the Israeli police and military have been very concerned. Of course, now we basically have uh, the level of, of warfare that is ensuing right now is comparable to the level when I was there with Jimmy Harden. You may remember a war broke out then, a small, short war. Uh, but last night, over 200 rockets, last night, over 200 rockets were fired um, from the Gaza City area uh, toward up, up, up the coast, particularly targeting Ashkelon and then going further up the coast. So that, that's going on right now. I'm guessing you're all aware of this. Israel is using its Iron Dome, uh, which has been able to intersect many of these rockets, but not all, several Israeli uh, areas have been hit, several Israelis have been killed. Uh, the, uh, the Israeli Defense Forces, in turn, for the last several nights have been um, engaging in, among other things, targeted air um, airstrikes on um, what they understand to be, through their intelligence, the compounds, tunnels, their extensive tunnel works in, in Gaza, in the Gaza Strip, including some that actually go into Israeli territory. Um, but uh, they've hit several that have that are believed to have a whole lot of missiles, and they also hit uh, uh, the, the leader of the uh, of Hamas's airstrike unit. I believe he was killed, and some of his family members were killed. And they're also uh, Israeli defense forces are also targeting uh, people who are in the uh, coordinating group of the Islamic uh, Jihad. Uh, resistance group. So there's a lot going on in Israel. You guys kind of know this, right? It's big in the news right now. So if you look at the map, 
you can see, as I mentioned after the, the class, because last week, because Larry was asking me, I said, you know, basically, um, southwest of the Sea of Galilee is Nazareth. And it wasn't on the maps that I handed out last week, because as I mentioned, as I mentioned to you guys previously, and as I mentioned briefly when Larry and I talked last week, remember, Nazareth is not mentioned a time in the, uh, in the Old Testament. It is not a significant city. It's not a significant Old Testament city. That's one of the highlights to the fact that Jesus comes from Nazareth. It's, it's, it's uh, just like a whole lot of else uh, with his history. It's just amazing. So in any event, uh, yeah, Nazareth is now a decent-sized city because of tourism and other purposes. It's actually the largest, um, the largest Arab percentage city in Israel, Nazareth. So uh, there you can see the map. You can see Egypt to the uh, southwest, Jordan to the east and to the southeast, Syria to the northeast, the Golan Heights area, very significant strategically for Israel, disputed territory. Okay, so that's a little bit about that. We are called upon by the scripture, of course, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, so we should be praying for the peace of Jerusalem right now. Uh, this thing could get really interesting in not a good way uh, over the next few days, so we really need to be praying about that. Um, that being said, that's not what we're studying tonight, but I did want to acknowledge that. Um, and, and so I threw in a few maps, and Larry, you can see that current day map of Israel shows you clearly where Nazareth is. Okay, so uh, putting David on the map. All right, let's, let's go back to some scriptures. Some of these we read last week, and we'll keep referring to them because they're so significant. A couple a week and a half ago, I preached on Isaiah chapter 55. And, and let's turn to Isaiah 55. If you have a Bible, I'll read it aloud. Uh, these key verses that are highly significant. Um, they're some of the most important, one of the more important passages relating to the New, New Testament, the New Covenant um, in Isaiah. So we, we've seen several other passages relating to the New Covenant, including from Isaiah chapter 54, the preceding chapter. But, but here, Isaiah 55, 3 through 5. <clears throat> Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you uh, a berit olam, a, a covenant eternal, an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love or mercies for David. It, it's plural there. Okay? Um, behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of Yahweh, I am, your God, and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. So that's one of the great prophecies of the new covenant that bridges into what else is further developed in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And you can see that it's grounded in, rooted in promises, promises of steadfast love and mercies that God made to whom? To David. Okay. So we, we get, as I mentioned last week and as I've said previously, have your ears open because part of what God seems to be saying through Isaiah is there's a special preeminence and centrality to this covenant that God made uh, with David, and it, it pairs with the covenant and the promises that God made to Abraham, both leading to seed that are going to bring about fulfillment. And, and, and we see all that coming together with this vision of a new thing that God is going to do, a new covenant, and ultimately that's going to be brought to bear and to fulfillment by Jesus himself when he comes. Okay? So uh, that's there. Just uh, an example from, I think we looked at Jeremiah 31 last week. Uh, let's go ahead and go tonight to Ezekiel 34. And 
Now, we're not doing extensive study of the new covenant. I'm just, I'm just picking up a little bit of this David theme here. So, Ezekiel 34:23. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. Now, remember, David has been dead for centuries when Ezekiel is prophesying. Is Ezekiel proposing, is God proposing through Ezekiel that David is going to be sent back from the dead or from the living communion he has with the Lord to do all this new covenant stuff? What do you think? Now, so we're talking about David but we're talking about somebody who is the greater David who's coming, okay? So you can see that there. And then, and then by the way, just because I highlighted this, I think several weeks ago, and certainly in the sermon, uh, notice at 25, I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts. I read that in the sermon that I preached uh, on from one of the sermons from Isaiah 54, talking about the covenant of peace. You may remember that. So you see how all this connects together. Now, let's move on. Um, this is on, we're going to look at young David tonight, but, but this is, um, this is going to be on the back side of the story. Uh, second Samuel 22, 51. And this is David's song of deliverance, which is parallel with there are differences in the Hebrew, but it's basically parallel with Psalm 18. So, at verse 51, David says, and this is right before, as you can see in the, in the book of 2 Samuel, right before the last words of David, okay, this psalm, this psalm. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his seed forever. So does David think this covenant lasts forever? Yes, because God told him that, and David is singing this celebratory uh, song of thanksgiving for the Lord's deliverance and his covenant that God has made forever with David. Same thing in Psalm 1850. Now, David, we're going to briefly move on. David is long dead and gone. And we're going to just take a look at one verse, or a few verses, excuse me, from Second Chronicles chapter 21. Second Chronicles 21. Jehoshaphat, this is a king of Judah, okay, in the line of David. Jehoshaphat, who, let me just tell you this, he generally was a good king, but then he makes an alliance with the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, and makes some bad mistakes, and he does not please God in his latter days, Jehoshaphat. But now Jehoshaphat's gone. Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. He had brothers, the sons of Jehoshaphat, Azariah, Yahiel, Zechariah, Azariah, Michael and Shephatiah, Shephatiah, all these were the sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. Their father gave them great gifts of silver, gold, and valuable possessions, together with the fortified cities of Judah. But he gave the kingdom to Jehoram because he was the firstborn. When Jehoram had ascended to the throne of his father and established and was established, he killed all his brothers with the sword and also some of the princes of Israel. Nice guy, right? <laughs> you already love this guy, don't you? All right. Yahram was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. He didn't have a long kingship, did he? He's gone by the time he's 40, I guess, okay? And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Now, that is a horrible thing to say. That's like really bad because, you know, virtually every king of the northern kingdom of Israel 
is anywhere from very bad to horrible, okay? As far as spiritually, as far as faithfulness to the Lord. So when it says that you do not want the, the Bible or anybody else saying you walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, okay? The northern kingdom. Um, as the house of Ahab had done, Ahab's like one of the worst, okay? Uh, for the, the daughter of Ahab was his wife. That was a really bad decision. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. In case you missed this, let's just double underline this. But then look at verse 7. What is going on here? The Lord should strike him down and get rid of his family on the spot, right? But no, verse 7. Yet the Lord was not willing to destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David. And since he had promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever. So do you think the covenant God made with David is pretty significant to God? Yeah. I mean, you can be horrible in David's line and the Lord's going to hold out uh, for the house of David. That's, that's just an extreme example there of that. So you get the picture, right? Now, we looked at a little bit of this last week. We looked at it before, but let's just run over the New Testament real fast and hopefully keep going. So I'm taking you real fast over to uh, the New Testament, the books of the New Testament, a few of uh, the highlights. Remember last week, as we said, you open to the New Testament and the very first book, the way it has been arranged by God's providence in canonical order in Matthew, the gospel according to Matthew. Chapter 1, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Remember, as you hear from me all the time, this is highly significant because if, if you were just casually reading the Old Testament, you might say, well, Abraham is really important, and he is, and the big initial calling of the people of Israel is, you know, or what becomes the people of Israel comes from Abraham. And chronologically, come on, Abraham is way long before. You know, he's, he's almost a millennium before David. So obviously, it should say son of Abraham, son of David. But you notice the order here. What is the order? The latter is first. Why do you think that is? Well, clearly, God's word is highlighting the fact that centrally and preeminently, Jesus is not just a son of Abraham. He is specifically the promised king and forger of this covenant and of this house uh, that God is going to establish through David and through the seed of David. That's what that's telling you. So, in other words, when you open the New Testament... If you're, you know, if you started a novel and it said, you know, this guy was related to such and such, and that's the very first line in a novel, you'd really want to know who such and such was, right? And you'd want to remember that. The, the main thing you need to know about Joe is that he was the great-grandson of Billy Joe. Well, who was Billy Joe? Tell me about Billy Joe, right? So you really, like, obviously, if you're going to read the New Testament, you really have to know who David is, right? And you have to keep that in your head as you move through. And clearly, that's the case with the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew's highlighting it. And then, of course, the covenant with Abraham, too. Um, now, speaking of that kind of thing, just moving down through the, the, the uh, lined-out genealogy here, verse 5. And Solomon was the father of Boaz. We looked at this story last week. Remember Boaz and Ruth father of Boaz uh, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. Remember, we looked at the story of Ruth and that genealogy in chapter 4 of Ruth that sets up all of a sudden, it puts Bethlehem on the map. Because Bethlehem was not significant until, you, you know, certainly, you know, until you get to that story. Yeah, Rachel died on the way into Bethlehem having her, you know, child, um, and so we're kind of highlighted with the fields around Bethlehem, something maybe prophetic going on there, right? Remember, I've preached about that during Advent before. But um, then you get, so Bethlehem just kind of off in the background after then. And now all of a sudden you got Bethlehem with Ruth and Boaz. Um, Obed by Ruth and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, what? 
the king. Now, a lot of these other guys are kings too in this line. I mean, a bunch of them. Do they get the little title, the king, thrown it after their name too? Hmm? No. So, David is highlighted, highlighted, okay? All right. It's kind of like being a PhD in a college town. Nobody calls you doctor. Yes, exactly. Yes. (laughs) It's like, yeah, come on, yeah. Outside of the act. Yeah, do you think Yahoram should get the king title after his name and we should have a big statue of him? What do you think? The guy who killed all his brothers and reigned for eight years and walked in the way of the (laughs) kings of Israel? Probably not. All right. So, uh, let's go to 120 of Matthew. You'll recognize this. I'm highlighting the David connection here for you. Um, But as he, that is Joseph, remember Joseph? But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, how is he designated? Who is he? Son of David. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Everybody see this? You guys online, I hope you're, you're tracking with the scripture here. It's right there. Uh, let's go over to Luke's gospel. You're going to recognize these lines that I'm pulling out here. The point is the David connection and the David highlight. You just cannot get out of the opening gates of the New Testament without it being screamingly obvious to you that you need to be aware that Jesus is in the line of David and that the whole Davidic covenant thing is a big light and background to the whole story of the New Testament. So, uh, 132. Gabriel is speaking to Mary. This is at the Annunciation. Verse 32. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his... Yeah. It certainly doesn't say his father, Jehoram, or something like that, right? It's Father David. Um, now, 2, chapter 2, 4 through 7. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, Right? Now, it gets confusing in the Bible because there's two cities of David. There's the strong, there's a stronghold area of Zion that David took from the Jebusites that's part of Jerusalem, and there's also Bethlehem. They're both the city of David. When you're as big as David, you could have two cities that are called the city of David. If somebody famous were from Starkville, but it also lived in, I don't know, Jackson, would we say, this is the city of David? Absolutely, wouldn't we, right? If he were from here, this is the city of David. Okay, so um, the city of David. Uh, Why? Why Bethlehem? Remember the story now. Why, Why are they going to Bethlehem? Because Joseph was what? From the house? Remember how all this covenant language is revolving around the house. You're really supposed to catch this. This was not written, you know, when Luke wrote this and when God inspired this, the intent was not, oh, just make people feel kind of nice and fuzzy on Christmas Eve for, you know, 20 minutes. And they can sing a song and go home and have some hot beverages. That, that is not the concept here. This is you're really supposed to be picking up the big stuff here of God's salvific purposes. Because he's from the house and lineage or line of David. Both those things. Luke does not waste his words. He's telling you both those things. Uh, To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. So where does she give birth? You know where, right? In Bethlehem, right? And then specifically, of course, she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in the feeding trough, the manger, uh, because there was no place for them in the inn. Uh, 2, 10, and 11. The shepherds are out in the fields outside of Bethlehem. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Uh, So really exciting. Now, let's go over to Acts 
And I got to move fast. 13, 20. Paul is speaking, preaching at Pisidian Antioch, uh, at, the, at the synagogue. And we're just going to pick up after he goes through the early history and the, the, the Moses sector of the story. All this took place, um, all this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. So they're in the promised land. We're picking up on where Paul is giving this very brief summary, at least as Luke records it, of his summary leading up to Jesus coming. Okay. Uh, then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's seed, in other words, of David's seed, of David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. So you can see when Paul wants to give the executive summary to these Jews at the synagogue in Pisidian Antioch, the David connection is hugely important and central. Uh, 30 through 39, but God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who, were, uh, who are now his witnesses uh, to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, uh, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm. We spent a lot of time on Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, kind of orienting in the study on the psalms last summer and fall. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Remember, this is the key messianic psalm after the, the psalm on the law or the word, okay? And the man who loves the law and the word. So the second psalm, uh, messianic, and it says, you are my son, today I have forgotten you. So the Messiah is called son by, by God. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Where does that come from? What did, what did Paul just quote in his executive summary to the synagogue uh, Jews of Pisidian Antioch? You should know the answer. I preached on it a week and a half ago, and I just read it to you 10 minutes ago. Yeah, right? So that Isaiah 55 passage, he's quoting the DLC that. Are you catching that now? Okay. So um, I will give you the holy and sure blessings or, or mercies. He's, he's paraphrasing from the Septuagint, okay? I read you from, you know, a base off of the Hebrew Masoretic text. So therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not let your holy ones see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So Paul has just told you this Jesus raised from the dead, the Messiah, is infinitely more significant than his father, David, but he does come from the line, the seed, the promises, God's rich mercies of promises to David, and clearly preeminent over Moses. So when you're looking at the covenant, says Paul's engaged in all this covenant discussion because it's so central to the Jews. Everybody with me? Okay, so you see how big this is. Um, 
Just one more thing from Paul over in 2 Timothy 2, 8 and 9. Just a little summary here from Paul. This is a creedal statement. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. So you want a summary of the gospel. One way to put it is as simple as this. He's born in the flesh, specifically the seed of David. So in other words, he naturally is under the covenant promises to Abraham, okay, because he's an Israelite. But he also specifically is the heir of the covenant promises to David. And he died and he rose from that death. That's about a short and sweet version of the gospel as you're going to get from Paul. And it's right there. And guess who's named in it? David, right? Because the David connection is so central. Everybody see that? That's pretty astounding, isn't it? Okay, so... Um, as you can well see, and as we've said before, but this was just interesting to go through, you can't miss David in the New Testament. I mean, you just cannot miss David in the New Testament and understanding Jesus and the Christian faith. So, back to David. Um, basically, what goes down in 1 Samuel, um, you know, picking up at... The, the early chapters, after you get into the story of the people wanting the king, is, I think we said this a little bit last week, you know, Saul is anointed as king. Um, he, he does well for a little while, but then he starts going off the rails, and uh, like, like many politicians do. Now, at least they used to do. Now, we're much more sophisticated. We, we're a lot better at picking politicians now, so ours never go off the rails. But back in those days... Um, they did. Okay. So Saul, Saul starts going off the rails a little bit. Actually, Saul would make our politicians, I mean, Saul is like a saint compared to our politicians. But um, he does, the Lord has higher standards than we do. I guess that's, that wouldn't surprise you. Anyway, Saul, Saul fights the Philistines. Um, he makes unlawful sacrifice. It's really bad. And God says, enough. You know, you, you've, you've strayed into disobedience, and now this is an outrage. So we're not going to go into all that. I, I just have the one little, uh, first, first Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. Samuel said to Saul, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Is the Lord serious about people keeping what he commands? Yes. Is the Lord unusually gracious towards David? Yes, we can talk about that more. Um, in this story, there is no question, if I said you get to play Saul or David, there's absolutely no question, you know, <laughs> who you want to play in the story. Okay. Putting David on the map. So, uh, picking up at, I'm just going to move forward a lot. Jonathan has great victories. Jonathan is the prized son of Saul. He's a wonderful, righteous man, a wonderful warrior, brave, uh, valiant, and he's, he's best friends. He's going to end up being best friends with David. We really don't have time to go into all that. That would be like another study, but that is a, an interesting, challenging you learn a lot from the whole David-Jonathan thing. And there's prophetic typing going on in that. We're not going to get into that, but back before those two get connected, here's the story. 1 Samuel 16. The first verses, we just have to highlight a few of these. This is one of the greatest stories, not only in the Bible, but in all of human literature, in my opinion. I mean, because you've, you know, you, you've been built up for this back from chapter 13. God has picked out somebody much better than Saul, a man after his own heart. Wonder who that's going to be. Yeah? Um, and, and, and now we start getting into where the rubber hits the road. Uh, 16, chapter 16, the Lord said to Samuel, 
How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Notice how human beings sometimes grieve longer than God does. God's ready to move on. Forget about it already, God says. I've got other plans. Come on, get off your grief and get on the road. I've got somebody you need to anoint, man of God. And remember, Samuel functions as priest slash prophet slash judge. Um, Fill your horn and go. In other words, it's going to happen. It's happening like now. Um, I will send you, and now we have the identification. Lo and behold, we're going back. You remember the story of Ruth? Well, we're going back, okay? I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself a king from among his sons. If you've been reading the Bible, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, remember Ruth? I mean, the whole Obed and David thing. Um, Verses 6 and 7. When they came, he brings in uh, Jesse. This is fascinating because neither Jesse nor Samuel have a clue as to what specifically God has planned. So Jesse brings in his seven first sons. You know, you are totally blessed in ancient world if you have seven sons. Extras are like bonuses. They're like, these are the prize ones, you know, that we're going to run in the races. And, oh, yeah, there's the runt. That we, just kind of, we just got him as a bonus, okay? So he brings in the seven big, strong adults. Uh, or the ones that are close to being adult. But when they came, he, Samuel, looked on Eliab and thought, Uh, Surely the Lord's anointing is before me. But Samuel, who's a prophet, right, and a judge, is missing the mark here. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You'll remember that quote, right? Then we move on to verse 10. I'm skipping over now. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, because the Lord keeps saying, no, no. And, and, you know, Samuel's sitting there saying, but this one's the tallest. This one's the strongest. This one's the first. This one's the smartest. This one's the, the, has the highest social skill quotient, you know. This one can really sing well or whatever. I don't know. You know, he just, no, no, no. Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? This is, this is such a great crafted story and what happens here. Are all your sons here? Uh, are all your sons here? And he said, well, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's out keeping sheep. You know, do we need to wait around for him? I mean, he's, you know, I got him working, you know. I got the big boys in before you. Come on. Maybe do a second round with the seven. Um, and Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The writer of Samuel cannot resist telling you that. This is after the Lord said, I don't look on the outward appearance. I just look on the heart. But anyway, by the way, he is very striking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him. But this is he, the eighth son of Jesse. Now then, you know, we get the story of David and Goliath. Um, I won't go into that tonight. If we happen to have time, maybe we'll throw that in. But y'all know the story of the. And David is zealous for defending some of his older brothers, you remember, are fighting with Saul. Neither they nor Saul want to take on Goliath, the, uh, the Philistine. Now, if you look at the handout from tonight or last week, you know, you get some view of, of what's going on here. Remember, Goliath is one, from one of the main um, pentapolis, the main cities of the Philistines. He's from Gath, which is inland. On the one for tonight, you can see here Philistia, Gath, and Ekron there. You see near the border with where the Israelites live. Um, 
So that, that's what's going on there. I've got another map I believe for you that shows. Hmm. I thought I had another map for the, the Valley of Allah. That, that's, that's where this, this fight takes place. Yeah, David and Goliath. On the handout from last week, see that David and Goliath? So you can see it happens kind of where the Philistines and the Israelites are conflicted, okay? And the Valley of Allah is where it goes down. Uh, so... That's, that's the David and Goliath, of course. Obviously, this really puts David on the map, right? When he kills Goliath, the, the champion of the Philistines, the giant, um, and, and does not need armor, does not need iron to do it. You know, one of the things the, the, the Israelites don't really have much. I mean, it's just like David and his son, excuse me, Saul and his sons, and a few others have swords, uh, like, you know, iron swords. Um, the rest of the Israelites are really fighting with really backwards weapons. David takes out Goliath with a sling and a stone. It's incredible. And then, of course, takes Goliath's sword and cuts his head off. And then the Israelites, when they see that happen, they're incredibly courageous, and they come in and take, you know, take the Philistines out. So that's David then becomes this great hero, you get uh, 18 and 19, chapters 18 and 19, David and Saul, their relationship, David's relationship with Jonathan. They become best friends. Uh, they really love each other. And David, lo and behold, Saul gives uh, Michal, one of his daughters, to David, to marry David. So David marries the daughter of King Saul, Michal. And interesting dynamic there. And for a while, they do well together. Later on, it's not so good. Uh, definitely after Saul is dead, it's, it's really not good. I'm not, you know, it's interesting, like the whole time when Saul's trying to kill David, that's, that, that's an interesting relationship. You know, he clearly is not with McCall uh, during that time, so there's, there's a lot going on there. Um, David is on, uh, what, what ends up happening, to make the pretty extensive story short, is... David ends up having to flee Saul because you remember for a while David is able to soothe Saul. The spirit of the Lord leaves Saul and then an evil spirit controls Saul. And, but David is able to soothe Saul with his music. And so Saul goes through these periods where he absolutely loves David, but then he'll pick up a spear and try to kill David. And David ends up having to go on the run. And Jonathan pledges allegiance to David, which is just not done. But they are, they are like blood brothers. I mean, they love each other. And David says, you know, David famously says he loves Jonathan more than he ever loved a woman, you know, because he's just like he's his, his, you know, heart and soul brother. Um, but um, it kind of almost works out conveniently in a way that when Saul dies, unfortunately, Jonathan is there fighting with him and dies also because it would have been quite interesting how that takes out. Now, Jonathan has said he knows that David is the anointed of the Lord and he will subject himself to David, but that's still very complicated when you're the son of a king and a great hero too. So uh, that's a little overview of a whole lot of stuff there. Uh, David is on the run from Saul, and I just wanted to show you one of the places where David hides out. It's in the handout from tonight. You see in Getty there, it's this little oasis area there that, that's right on top of the Dead Sea. Does everybody see that? And you see all that, that's really rugged terrain there in that Dead Sea area. So that would be a pretty good place to hide out, right? Where there's fresh water and waterfalls and this little, you can see the little green area there. Um, but uh, that's, that's the first of a couple places where David can kill Saul. I mean, <laughs> Saul is there in a cave with David, totally oblivious to the fact that David is right there. Uh, and David and Saul is relieving himself. I mean, he's totally vulnerable. And David could take him out. And David, you remember this, like cuts off the little corner 
of his robe. And then he calls out to Saul and says, you see, I spared you. I'm not going to touch the anointed of the Lord. Because David respects Saul as the anointed of the Lord. Because Samuel anointed Saul, David's going to have to let other forces move on. David is not going to force the issue. David is just trying to protect his life because David is the next anointed you know, of the Lord. So David sets this precedent that you do not mess with the anointed of the Lord. Okay? And uh, so David calls out to Saul. You may remember this. And Saul's like, oh, I just love you. You're the greatest. You know? And then, of course, uh, shortly thereafter, he's trying to kill David again. So um, not, a, not a really fun guy to be dealing with Saul. All right, so that's David. David then, after the death of Saul and Jonathan, uh, becomes, well, is, is now on his way in 2 Samuel to becoming king. What goes down is, um, you know, the, the, you may remember this, the messenger who comes to announce to him that uh, Saul and Jonathan are dead. You're in the clear. David kills the guy. You know, because, because the guy uh, says that Saul, Saul asked him to kill him because he didn't want to be taken by the Philistines. And David, so remember David, like, you killed the anointed of the Lord. <laughs> so that guy is taken out. So you don't want to come to David and tell him you've killed the anointed of the Lord. Uh, later on, the messengers who tell David that they killed Ishbosheth, um, Saul's sons, guess what happens to them? Yeah. Um, yeah, you do not come exuberant and say, hey, I got great news for you. Your, your Israelite enemy is dead. You just don't come to David and do that. So um, now what happens? Well, we get into this development in 2 Samuel where David becomes king of Judah, and he reigns at Hebron okay, for over seven years. He has this civil war going on against Ishbosheth. Ishbosheth. And Abner is Ishbosheth's great general. And Abner decides he's going to make peace with, it's, it's, it, this has gone on long enough. And so he decides he's going to make peace with David, and he does. And then David's henchman general, Joab, kills Abner. Now, the, one of the things that, among other things, this is not as bad as the Bathsheba thing, but the fact that David lets Joab hang around his entire career is a real stain on David, and it gets David in all kinds of trouble. But David, you know, David has been on the run. Like all the, he's been a guerrilla warrior, and all these malcontents came to him, and he's kind of like a, in a sense, this is kind of bad to say, but in a sense, he's kind of like a mafia boss. I mean, he's got some people that that fight for him, that are really questionable. And this is the the man after God's own heart. So Joab is kind of the leader of the pack. You may remember this when. Um, when David needs Uriah the Hittite killed, to whom does he send words, send Uriah up against the wall? Same guy, Joab. I mean, Joab, <laughs> they've got this weird relationship going on. So anyway, uh, but what happens is uh, the civil war ends, and the elders of Israel, you can read this in 2 Samuel chapter 5, uh, th that means the elders of the northern tribes. The rest, you know, the non-Judah tribes, they come to David at Hebron and accept him as king, make covenant with him, and anoint him as king. Uh, then David takes Jerusalem. We'll look at that next week um, a little bit more, but let me just give you the summary. He, um, he takes his own capital city, the Jebusite city of Jerusalem, and yeah, the back page of the handout you can see uh, the little uh, Gihon tunnel thing that they go through, okay? And the city of David, or the stronghold of David, is the little thing below that butts up in the direction of the Temple Mount, okay? You have the city of David, the Ophel, and then the Temple Mount. You can see here on this picture, the big picture that I gave you, the topographical map, it kind of shows you the way that works, right? So you see down here at the bottom, this is the city of David, and then the Ophel here, and then the Temple Mount. What David initially takes is this little stronghold area that's almost impossible to take, and David takes it uh, through the tunnel. 
and you read about that. We may talk about that briefly next week uh, with 2 Samuel chapter 5. It's a big deal that David gets his own capital and establishes a capital. And then his next thing he's going to want to do is bring the Ark of the Covenant and establish the Lord's house in his new capital city of Jerusalem. All of this is hugely important. We just ran through a bunch of history, but you can see how, how important David is. You just don't, I mean, everything's different after David. Do y'all have questions about David? That's the, that's the little uh, well tunnel thing that they go through to, uh, the, yeah, let, let me just, okay, so since we're there, let me just, just read this briefly. So, 2 Samuel. Okay, so um, the king and his men, this is five chapter 5, picking up at verse 6. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, you will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off. In other words, because there's no way you can get in to our stronghold. Uh, thinking David cannot come in. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. And David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft and attack the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul. Therefore, it is... So he goes through the water shaft. Um, The blind and the lame shall not come in the house. And David lived in the stronghold called the city of David. David is a very smart, canny warrior. Okay? So that's how he takes... That makes sense, Glenda? That's what happens. So that's how Jerusalem falls into David's hands. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. We give thanks for the power and message of your word. And thank you, Lord, for how you teach us through David and your covenant with him and make the way for the gospel through Jesus, the son of David, your son and our savior. Help us to know and understand what that means and to um, grow more and more, Lord, to rejoice in and follow the way of the new covenant in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.